Welcome to the Mechanical Inc. podcast, a collection of conversations about the open source ecosystem. We speak with maintainers and companies that play a key role in ensuring the health and sustainability of open source today and in the future. Hi there, and welcome to the third installment of Mechanical Inc.'s Interesting Finds. First up, overreach by South African academic institutions, a call for action. So a couple of weeks ago, a member of the Zeretec Slack community, which I'm a part of, um, started a discussion about a topic that he found strange, to say the least, um, about a specific section of the university, in his case, Stellenbosch University, um, their student contract that all students are required to sign. The section that was problematic if to put it mildly in particular, was um, section 6.2, which reads as follows. You assign your intellectual property to the university. By signing this contract, you assign to the university all intellectual property rights in any work you create during your studies. This includes assignments, theses, dissertations, assessment scripts, personal class notes, summaries, posters, presentations, transcripts, recordings, software, hardware, data or databases, or any work created, adapted or amended by you. The intellectual property in these works belong to the university and you may not share or allow others to copy or distribute these works or infringe the intellectual property rights of the university in any manner. Now, This is the one from Stellenbosch University, but we have had confirmation that this is common at all universities in South Africa. So I started asking around um, in other communities that I'm a part of, and the general consensus was that, while unfortunately this isn't rare, the above is really unambiguous and can be classified as overreach, which I agree. I mean, it even makes student class notes the property of the university. So, in response to this, um, we at Mechanical Inc., along with the person who started the conversation, co-created a repository on GitHub, which is linked in the show notes, to house open source software created by students at educational institutions in South Africa. While we acknowledge that ownership can be claimed for work created while using a university's course material or equipment, this clause is unacceptable. It is no secret also that several of these universities have what is called incubators, sponsored by for-profit companies, and they directly benefit from the work these students produce. If you are aware, if you are, or if you are aware of someone who is an intellectual property lawyer with knowledge of this topic, we would love to speak with you. Intelligence Open Network is a non-profit that aims to make large-scale machine learning models, datasets, and related code available to the general public. Open Assistant is a truly open AI that is 100% non-profit and 100% free. AOM is funded by donations and public research grants. It's developed in the open with data for the large language model collected via crowdsourcing on their website at open-assistant.io. This makes me think of Common Voice, the project um, run by Mozilla. Now, if you had listened to a previous episode of the Mechanical Inc. podcast, you would have heard about some of the unethical practices uncovered at OpenAI. 
And to add fuel to the fire, this week Elon Musk, who, yes, is not the most exemplary human on planet Earth. Um, so what comes next actually says a lot. He was actually one of the original founders of OpenAI, and he disowned OpenAI, as covered in a piece by Fortune, which is linked in the show notes. And this essentially gives full control over OpenAI to Microsoft. So as I said, in case you didn't know, Musk was one of the original founders in 2015. And to quote from the article, according to Musk, it was designed to be an open source nonprofit. This refers to OpenAI which was the very reason why it was dubbed OpenAI. And that is why I was always interested in the OpenAI project, because that was my understanding. But he continues to say that now it has become a closed source, maximum profit company effectively controlled by Microsoft. And that is not what he intended at all. Interesting, interesting movement there. And... Um, we disagree with a lot regarding the way OpenAI operates and the practices around ChatGPT, but we do acknowledge the potential of AI. We have to ensure we put the needed guardrails in place to ensure that this is used to benefit humanity, our planet, and all that shares it with us. We are therefore encouraged by and support the work of Leo and encourage you to join us in supporting them. Other projects that's in this space that we also find encouraging is the Hugging Face project and the work done by Stability AI. If you want to support and you want to get involved in this area of AI, the large language models, next word prediction, I would much rather spend my time investing in something like Open Assistant, Hugging Face or Stability rather than OpenAI or ChatGPT. Up next, um, the challenge with Core.js. So if you're in the JavaScript ecosystem, Node, all of these things, the story about Core.js would have undoubtedly been on your radar over the last week or so. Uh, the Core.js project calls itself a modular standard library for JavaScript that includes polyfills for ECMAScript up to ECMAScript 2023. On the 14th of February, 2023, the founder of the project, Denis Pushkarev, posted an update on the project's future on GitHub. Now, a lot of what is referred to in this post is true. There is a problem in how open source ecosystems has evolved and the dependency, dependence very large corporations have on the work done by people and communities such as this. While several of these companies can thank their existence to several open source projects, very few give back in a meaningful way. With this, we can all agree on. But there is a problem though. There's another side to this coin. After speaking with a member of the TC39 committee, um, and these are the folks that look after the JavaScript specification, I learned a hard truth. There is a history here with this individual and the project itself. I linked to a thread on GitHub where you can witness his manner of interaction. It is, to say the least, not constructive nor healthy. The other problem is with the project itself. So while Babel, which is a transpiler that is used by almost all JavaScript projects, I guess, um, uses Core.js under the hood, they do not polyfill anything that is not at least at stage four of the TC39 proposal process. Now, the reason they, they do this is 
after there was outreach done from the TC39 committee. Now, this is because anything before stage four is still very much in flux and having libraries, tools or polyfills implement and encourage the use of these features makes iteration on these very difficult. You will even see that it's sort of called out by the founder of CoreJS in, in that um, thread where he is pushing back on something that he says this will break the internet. But the reason they're in the situation is because CoreJS was polyfilling and encouraging the use of a feature that was not at stage four yet. So they cannot push back if TC39 wants to iterate on something that wasn't final yet. So now while Babel adheres to, to this, as I mentioned, the CoreJS project does not, and in fact, does polyfill and encourage the use of these early stage features. Now, as I mentioned, this leads to threads like the one I link to, and it could also impact the speed at which new syntax and features make it into the JavaScript language. So, you know, this gives you food for thought and another perspective on the situation and the challenges faced here and shows you that it's not all one-sided. So do keep that in mind when you read any uh, coverage about this specific topic. Another interesting one that I found out about is the story of Hackyderm. So Hackyderm is an instance of a Mastodon server. And um, it used to be just a small community of maybe less than 100 people. But uh, in November of 2022, over 30,000 ex-Twitter users decided to move to Mastodon and specifically the Hackydome instance administered by Chris Nova, who is a principal engineer at GitHub. Now, the server powering this instance was located in their basement. Uh, to be clear, watch the video that I've linked and also put in into this. It is not just a desktop computer standing on a, on a desk in the basement. These are... This is a rack of servers, but it, you know, it, it's still, you know, they started to topple over under the flood of these users. Now, one thing you might not immediately think about is that seemingly overnight, Chris became responsible for the safekeeping of, as she put it, 30,000 passwords, email addresses, IP addresses, and access to several extremely popular technologists' personal direct messages. In this thought-provoking and in-depth conversation from FOSDEM 2023, Chris details the crisis that ensued, moving out of the basement and how DigitalOcean and Hetzner helped on the technical side. There's also a whole legal and privacy side to this, especially regarding uh, federated models such as this across jurisdictions and continents. Now, to protect Hackyderm and another project by Chris called, I think you pronounce it, Array Runtime, which in itself sounds super interesting, she formed a nonprofit called the Nevenly Foundation. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, because yet another challenge they were facing is defining a governance mo model for this foundation and for the use of Hackyderm. And the way they went about it is quite interesting. They looked at the problems that exist in current corporations and especially on the social media front and they started to work backwards from there. There's just so much here, so much interesting stuff. I'm definitely going to watch this talk again and read up uh, more about the work that has been done and the work that is planned for the future. There is a Hackyderm community and you can join that community and it is linked in the show notes. Sustaining open source. So 
kind of getting back to the topic of CoreJS. Now, more and more companies, initiatives, and nonprofits are creating ways for maintainers of open source projects to get funding. There are also more and more ways for companies to fund open source. In last week's podcast episode, I spoke with Richard Latour from Sustain OSS and Open Collective and Isaac Levin from Amazon Web Services. Sustain OSS was founded to find ways to support, as they termed it, sustainers of open source. And Open Collective is a fundraising, legal status and money management platform all in one for your community. Now, some really great news that Isaac shared in the podcast is that during 2023, AWS, Amazon, is donating $500 each month to a open source project that they depend on. Now, other than uh, Open Collective and SustainOSS, GitHub has done quite a lot here. GitHub Sponsors has been around for a long time, and the places where you can now use GitHub Sponsors has expanded significantly. And late last year, they also announced the GitHub Fund and the GitHub Accelerator. You can listen to episode two of the Mechanical Inc. podcast where I actually speak to two of the people involved in these projects from GitHub. Now, on the 30th of January, the Open Technology Fund announced yet another way to sustain open source, which they call the Free and Open Source Software Sustainability Fund. This is made possible by the support from Schmidt Futures Plaintext Group, Omidar Network, Okta, and GitHub. I love seeing all of this, but there is still something missing. Money goes a long way, a community support is invaluable, but we need to ensure the well-being of these sustainers and creators. As a sustainer and maintainer, you must be able to step away when needed. No matter how important to the software ecosystem a project is, it should never feel like it's a ball and chain. We need to also invest in the next generation of software creators, and we need to do this, especially in developing countries. There is a wealth of expertise and enthusiasm out there. All these folks need is support and a roadmap from which they can build a future they are proud of. We have some ideas around this at Mechanical Inc. We would love to hear your ideas, so please comment. But more than ideas, we need a sustainable plan that allows software engineers to choose open source as a career path. That is it for the third edition of Interesting Finds. Just a couple of other news I want to call out. Uh, the folks from Humane Tech is hosting an in-person event that you can also watch online on the 23rd of February, 2023, called Designing Tech for Social Cohesion. And reading from the event notes here, it says, while there is widespread understanding of the harmful impacts of digital technologies amplifying toxic polarization, there is less awareness that the design of tech platforms can scale elements of bridge building and peace building. Join us to explore a new generation of tech products that offer affordances and algorithms optimized for reducing harmful content, depolarizing digital public sphere, listening at scale, using AI to find common ground between polarized groups and designs that promote pro-social content. So if these are things you're interested in, and you're in the San Francisco area, you can join this event in person or else you can watch it online on YouTube. The Google season of Docs is open. So if you have a project and you would like 
to apply for a grant to hire a tech writer to write documentation for your project, you can now do so. And if you're a writer looking to work on an open source project, you can also apply. Another one from the folks at Humane Tech is their latest podcast episode called Synthetic Humanity, AI and What's at Stake. A really enlightening listen. Dotan Horowitz, somebody I learned about from one of the many Slack uh, communities I'm part of and who will be a future guest on Mechanical Inc. had a really interesting talk that I would encourage you to watch. It's called When Your Open Source Tool Turns to the Dark Side. Well worth the watch and listen. And lastly, we're closing out with a new Mastodon web client called Alk, which is open source and is currently in public preview. So if you are using Mastodon and you're looking for a client that improves the UX and how you use Mastodon, check out Alk. And as it's open source, you can provide your feedback. You can also contribute. So highly encouraged. I hope you found all this news interesting. If there's any news that we missed, anything you'd like to call out, please comment on our post and because this will also be published on our Substack. So we look forward to your comments and have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. Join the conversation on Discord. All the links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have a moment, please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, as this helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. <laughs>